Hello and welcome to the initial audio podcast of Tuba People TV, where we talk about Arnold Jacobs all of the time. In this initial podcast, we're going to be hearing from Phil Snedekor. Phil Snedekor is a well-known trumpet performer, a trumpet professor, and composer and arranger. In his early studies with Mr. Jacobs, Jacobs encouraged Snedekor to get in the habit of practice performing rather than practice practicing. Snedekor had developed some self-analyzation habits in the practice room that was leading to difficulty actually functioning as a trumpet player. Jacobs advised Snedekor to simply go out onto Wabash Avenue in Chicago with his trumpet and start performing. Start playing the trumpet for passersby. Well, you'll hear what happens next in this episode of Tuba People TV on audio podcast. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Tuba People TV. Puddles and I are in Crofton, Maryland, in the lovely home of Phil Snedekor. Phil, it's so great to see you. How are you doing, Mike? Nice to see 1987, you. 1987, 1988? A lot of years. A lot of years back in Chicago. Great years. Uh, obviously, Phil needs little introduction. Fabulous trumpet player, and uh, from all of my students know of your work because it's a weekly assignment. Well, I appreciate you uh, adding to my bottom line by having your students buy my book. How did you do it? Quality material, quality material. But also, when uh, you were in Chicago, you had some studies with Arnold Jacobs. I'm wondering uh, if you can uh, recall any of the, what what brought you to Jake initially. Well, Jake was a great uh, changing force in my life. He uh, basically is the reason I'm still playing the trumpet today. I kind of had a, a breakdown at Eastman and, and was a star one day and, and nobody the next because I was very inconsistent and I spent a few months with the Dallas Brass and that was the same and so I decided well I'm either going to change professions or go see somebody that can fix me. So I had a teacher in Dallas named Don Jacoby who also had the nickname Jake and he uh, sat me down in his office and he said, you know, you need to go see the other Jake. And so he did. He, right there in his office, he made a phone call and said, Jake, this is Jake. I'm going to send you this guy named Phil and he's having some issues. And so I just basically packed up and moved to Chicago and beat Jake's door down until he saw me. And when he saw me, he said, you know, you don't have too many problems. You just need to go play music and get that one-way street going, the communication street. And so one of the first things he said is, he says, you see that street out there on Wabash Avenue? Just go play in the street. Just go play in the street. Take your trumpet and go yep. play in the street. And I didn't know what the hell that meant. I was like, well, what do you mean go play in the street? I've never done that before. So not 20 minutes later after I left the studio, I came across this band of trumpet players, a four-man group called uh, the Brass Factory Brass. And they were players that had uh, worked in the... Uh, factory at Schulke's making trumpets and mm. they played at their lunch hour and they just played for change and so I said wow this is really great I said I listened to them for the whole set and I was like you know do you guys ever need anybody and they said yeah we need somebody tomorrow because this guy over here can't be here and so I was like okay I'll play and so I played with him for I don't know two or three months and it was great because I got back into music again wow so when Jacobs was when Arnold Jacobs was advising you to go play on the street. 
he was wanting you, and you mentioned the one-way street in terms of, what do you think that meant, the one-way street? What was he trying to get? Oh, he was very specific. You only have one way, it's a one-way street. You can either collect information or impart information. So you're either making a statement or asking a question. And he said that many times with me. So I was asking a lot of questions. I was, you know, every time I played, I was wondering whether it'd be good enough, whether I would miss a note, whether I would, you know, place it in the right place, whether I was going to be in tune. I was asking a thousand questions every time I played. But nobody ever really expressed it to me that way. So he said, you know, you need to go just make a statement, which is, you know, talk to the people on the street, talk to your audience, uh, impart, you know, musical thoughts. That's what he was all about. And so that's what I did, and it got me out of my slump pretty fast. Hmm, that's really good. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody else uh, from Jake's studio being told to go play on the street, but it makes perfect sense. Well, I was a special case. So when you were, when you were uh, um, in the practice room, you were definitely not practicing performing, you were practicing rehearsing. I was analyzing everything, and I was in kind of a bad place. Uh, you've heard of writer's block. Mm. I was in musician block. I couldn't make music anymore because I was so worried about how to play the trumpet that I couldn't play the trumpet the way I knew I could. So he was very uh, good at kind of getting me out of that and changing the way I thought about playing and what we were doing. Well, what are we doing on the brass instruments? Are we just buzzing our lips? Or are we actually communicating something? Mm -hmm. So we would play, on the in the Brass Factory Brass, we would play the Barbara Seville Overture or William Tell, and we would just play and have a great time. So I remember you, uh, Phil and I played in the Millar Brass Ensemble together in Chicago <clears throat> um, those many years ago, and um, I remember you sounding good, But and you were very highly regarded at Eastman. I remember hearing stories about that. But somewhere along the way, you had uh, just become... I won't say paralyzed by analysis, but getting to that point. Well, it started out by being paralyzed by too much playing. I was over, it was overuse syndrome, which we hear a lot about today. But, you know, I was principal in the wind ensemble, and, the, and I played split lead in the jazz ensemble, and I played, uh, you know, principal in the orchestra when they needed, and I was in the, you know, the graduate brass quintet, and I was in everything. And so I'll never forget, you know, my last semester there, uh, we, you know, Barbara Butler had her solo class, which was basically, a, you know, a chance to perform, and I would have to play a getchel etude because I was so tied up in what I could do, I, I couldn't do anything. I would just go in and play very simple etudes mm. because that's all I could get out. And so I knew there was more in me, of course, because I, you know, almost had a master's degree and at that point, and <laughs> so I decided, well, I either really need to really do this or not do it. So... That's when I met Jake. Um, aside, uh, maybe moving forward uh, past that initial go play on the street lesson, what do you recall from those those times with Jacobs, those first few or several lessons? Well, he talked a lot about back pressure and uh, trying to get as little back pressure as possible. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how uh, inside oral pressure increases exponentially every octave. So, so you're, talking about inside, you're talking about inside the mouth. Yeah. Yeah, and and just pressure. and so you know if you can get a low C to be 0.2 pounds of pressure instead of 0.4, then the octave above that is half, and the octave above that is a quarter, mm -hmm. and that that was awesome for me because then I just tried to play with as little back pressure as possible, and that really helped a lot for me try to get out of my. I was very into the uh, you know pressure forcing syndrome, and I was forcing a lot, so. He got me out of that. Have, 
did he hook you up with some pressure measuring device, or how did he? What did he do to get your to get you to think more more flow, less back pressure? Well, I think for everybody, he hooked him up to the inspiration spirometer and the you know the the, the flow leader, figuring out how much air capacity you had. And I, I would I would t test out really well on that. He said, "Oh, you you know you you've been given a great huge lung capacity, and that was that's not a problem." And you really need to take all the gifts that have been given to you and make the most of them. And that's kind of when I realized, oh, I just get, need to get out of my own way. Mm -hmm. Basically, he got me out of my own way. And the voice, too. I mean, I, we were talking earlier about the voice. And, and even if I, I... I just hear the voice on the tapes of my... Lessons. Jacob's Jacob's voice. Yeah, the Jacob's voice. And it kind of relaxes you. Oh, well, you know, you know shoving the cranial nerve and, you know, that type of thing. It's, mm -hmm. just, it, it's magical, almost. It's true. So, Phil, you're still taller than I am. <laughs> Only my torso. Back in 1987. Um, I was hoping that would have changed by now, but evidently not. Do you remember, um, um, did he have you buzzing or singing in your lessons? Sure. Well, he would sing a lot. He would, I, I, I'll never forget him sitting next to me and singing along. You know, that the Arvin thing, it goes, ba da 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 da. It's somewhere in the, you know, middle of it, and he'd go, ba 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 ba, ba 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 ba, and he'd sing along with me, and he'd con conduct, and I could do no wrong. And of course, that studio sounded great anyway, at, yeah. you know, on, on Michigan Avenue. And so you're you're in this huge chamber of of resonance, and you've got Mr. You know, bass baritone next to you, singing next to you, and he just got you into that the right way of communicating. Yeah. He got you into playing music rather than worrying about what you were doing with your face. And then I talked about embouchure. I said, Mr. Jacobs, do you think I need an embouchure, James? He goes, absolutely not. And he took his, his visualizer and he, you know, and he put it over here and put it over here. And he'd say, you know, I can play anywhere on my face. It doesn't matter. The message is here. So the meat isn't important. It's the music's. <laughs> the music that's important. There you go. Wow. Um, what about, uh, you know, you're being a trumpet player, um, he was a tuba player, how did that play out for you in terms of what he had to say to you? Well, most of what he said applied to me and really helped me. Uh, he always had this thing of saying, you know, this is a lot of effort and not much air, <laughs> and this is a lot of air and not much effort. <gasps> and so uh, it took me a while to figure out that, you know, to get this on the trumpet, you can't necessarily blow copious amounts of air into the trumpet. You have to make it feel with feel like as little back pressure as possible. And really, that was his message to you: is that it has to it has to uh, be as as unrestricted as possible. And so, uh, it just took a while to kind of figure out how to do that on the trumpet. As far as your breathing, as a trumpet player, you know, it obviously takes um, it's a lower flow rate than the tuba. What did he talk about in terms of breath, breathing, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing? Well, my main, you know, lesson from him was the inhalation. And he would talk about, you know, the sound as opposed to, you know, getting the tongue in the way and the lips in the way and the teeth in the way. He would have this huge, uh, almost a bass baritone inhalation. You know, I, I still remember that sound. That's, yeah. I'm sure you do, too. Yeah, sure. It had this great... Uh, sound of wind going across the lips and so that still helps me. I, I talk about that a lot with my students and 
you know, still hear that sound. So getting getting as much relaxed air as in, in, in as possible. And when you have a very short amount of time to breathe, you know, like in Petrushka or something, mm -hmm. get as much relaxed air as possible instead of making that sound, which is so lethal in, in brass playing, really getting, you know, really fast. Yeah, so the... the Type of insula type of inhalation sets up the type of exhalation. Exactly. Did he uh, get in the air, get in lots of air, take in a good breath, and then get rid of it, or how does that work for yeah. immediate U-turn of the air? I remember that okay. a lot. Uh, no holding, just you know, breathe below. Don't don't go. <gasps> you know, none of that. That was poison. It's like <gasps> immediate. You know, breathe in time, blow in time, and that helped me a lot. Um, other than that, it was, it, it, what he did was so natural though. I mean, I always walked out of there feeling like a better player. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, all of us as brass players have had lessons where we walk out feeling less than a great player because our teachers kind of beat us up. He never beat me up. He always was encouraging. Even when I was playing poorly, he was, he always had something to say that made me feel better about what I was doing. Well, that's, that's really fantastic. What do you what what do you remember from your studies with Mr. Jackson? And what were the years that you studied with him? 80, uh, 87, 88. No, eighty seven. Uh, sorry, eighty six through eighty nine. Okay, actually. So through about three years, yeah. three or four years. And then, um, what do you pass along to your students now that that uh, you often are reminded? Uh, as we were talking about earlier, I I learned things from Jake that I don't even realize I learned from Jake. Uh, you were asking about my books and how they relate to Jake. Everything that I write in my books is about playing music and not analyzing your deficiency or whatever you're working on or whatever you're trying to fix. It's about imparting music. So uh, one of the reasons I wrote those books is so that you could just have fun and play music and get that communication thing going this way and not this way. You can't listen to yourself and communicate to your audience at the same time. So I feel like there should be a a whole host of etudes that encourage you to have fun in your studio, even mm -hmm. when there's nobody listening. I think your certainly your low etudes for tuba, not only visually but just the music themselves, is really good. And your your adaptation of other composers, your variations on like themes Pines of, of Rome and yeah, like mm -hmm. Prokofiev Five, they're really they're really great. I, do you have any plans to make any more? Yeah, I'm always writing stuff. I, I wrote a trumpet concerto for a uh, trumpet and wind ensemble not too long ago. I, I just wrote a thing called the Three Ps uh, that was uh, inspired by Dave Bilger. Yeah. And he always said, you know, the Three Ps, pictures, pines, and Petrushka. And so I thought, you know, we teach our students to play this all the time, but nobody really has any experience playing these unless they get the chance to play with an orchestra. So I thought, well, why not play it on a recital or a jury? And so I wrote a piano part based on this. And so you start out with pictures, and you go to Pines, and you play all the audition parts of Pines, and then you play Petrushka, and you end up with ding ding ding. And you, but you've got the accompaniment, and so you can actually make this music and be in the piece a little bit without just playing it by yourself. Yeah. Because auditions have become so antiseptic. It's like you're playing these parts, but they're so out of context. Mm -hmm. So. I think the more I teach, the more I think about things like that. Um, you could really bring bring the the music aspect of those excerpts right back to them. Have fun playing it. That's yeah. what Jake always told me: is if you're not having fun, don't do this. Why are we do? Why did you get into this in the first place? Are you into this just to like put 
metal against flesh, you're always gonna lose. <laughs> You've got to just communicate. So that's that helped me a lot. Also here in uh, the D.C. area, um, you're heavily involved in the uh, Washington Symphonic Brass. And uh, recently um, in Eugene, on the public radio station, I heard a performance. Um, I don't know if it was a live performance or from a, a compact disc. It's probably from a CD. We have uh, yeah. six, it sounded terrific. six or seven CDs out now at this point. We just uh, finished uh, Classic Rock for Brass and Home for the Holidays, our Christmas thing. But we have... Seth mentioned that we had this uh, thing called The Edge that has Rite of Spring and Appalachian Spring and the Shostakovich 8th uh, Piano Concerto, 8th uh, uh, String Quartet arranged for brass. Mm -hmm. So I like to do things that are fun. I love to listen to music and discover music and write it for brass. Well, that's great. Well, um, before we started this interview, we had a wonderful um, pork roast dinner prepared by Phil Snedekor. Excellent. Hopefully you won't get sick. I hope not. I don't think so. Puddles uh, was a little jealous because he was all wrapped up. He was on the phone uh, with the football team because they're, they're in Arlington, Texas right now, getting ready to take on the Buckeyes. Oh. Um, so he missed out, but we'll get you some later, Puddles. But he did uh, uh, ask me to present you with this, uh, this um, Genuine Tupa People TV metal water bottle uh, as a token of our Thanksgiving for uh, you being part of this project. That is very nice. I will put that to good use. There you go. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, Mike. Nice seeing you again. Oh, man. It's great to see you, too. <laughs> and now back to you. Okay, so uh, one month I was in the final four for the Philadelphia second trumpet position to Frank Cataretta. And so I call up Jake and I said, you know, I, I got to see you because I got to go play like in two days. And, and so he, he, he made room for me, which was unusual for Jake because usually it's like, you know, I'll okay. see you in a few weeks. <laughs> so he kind of slammed me in there and I walk in and I play the, the list and he's, you know, says, he gave me some real good pointers. And, and one of the things he said is he says, you know, you have to stop thinking like a trumpet player. You have to think like an artist, and that's what they're going to respect, especially in the Philadelphia Orchestra, because they have some of the best strings in the world. And those string players are going to be on the committee, and they're not going to hear trumpet playing. They're going to hear musicianship. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm not so confident that's the case today, because they, they talk a lot about, you know, ease of production and, and things like that today, and just ease of trumpet playing. But back then, this was, you know, Early early 90s, late 80s, something like that. Uh, they they really valued that, and and Jake talked about how you know you've got to play like an artist, and and that's what I still try to do today. I, you know, I, you can't be a trumpet player or tuba player or trombone player. You have to be a musician first. So he really drove that home, and I still didn't get the job, but that was my fault, not his. <laughs> the message was good. The message was great. All right, thanks. Puddles and I hope that you enjoyed this initial audio podcast of Tuba People TV. This is Michael Gross, your host, and I invite you to return for more audio podcasts of Tuba People TV, where we talk about Arnold Jacobs all of the time. And now, back to you. <laughs>